On this episode of Sion 180, I will be chatting with Dr. Catherine Trotman out of Barbados, an inspirational, influential voice that has gone the distance in clinical psychology. We're moving beyond the borders. Be bold. Take risks. Lead by example. Believe in your power. Say what you feel, mean what you say. Hi, I'm Leslie Ann Sion, host of the new podcast series, Sion 180. Join me at Sion 180 on this journey of discovery and advancement. Searching for that ideal house or rental property with a picture-perfect view of the ocean or lush green hills and breeze that gently caresses your face. Century 21 Grenada helps our clients to go beyond the search to living. At Century 21, our agents understand that a home isn't just walls and a roof, but a sacred, inspiring place where you learn, laugh, play, and create. Contact us today at c21grenada.com or give us a call at 473-440-5227. Go beyond with Century 21. Hello and welcome to Sion 180. I am your host, Leslie Ann Sion. On our podcast series, we feature Caribbean voices from around the world who are making real differences in their areas of influence. I invite you to check out my website at sion180.com or visit your favorite podcast streaming sites for current episodes as well as past shows. You can also visit my Facebook or Instagram page for weekly updates, tidbits, advice, and interactions with me, your host, and fellow listeners. We are now in our fourth season of Sion 180, and we have brought you voices of trauma and triumph, discussing a diverse range of topics from healthcare to managing finances, the economy, leadership, and motivational. On this episode of Sion 180, we will unravel depression with lecturer and consultant clinical psychologist, Catherine Trotman out of Barbados. Dr. Catherine Trotman is a clinical psychologist situated at the intersection of mental health practice and research. As a specialist in trauma, childhood abuse, and personality disorders, she has worked in a number of clinics in the United Kingdom and Barbados. At present, Dr. Trotman lectures in psychology at the graduate and undergraduate levels at the University of the West Indies Cable Campus Barbados, and her research interests include topics surrounding trauma, suicidality, pain management and neurocognitive function, and the intersection between mental and physical health. Dr. Trotman also manages the suspected childhood abuse and neglect clinic within the Queen Elizabeth Hospital at Bridgetown, Barbados. In this role, she manages the psychological care of pediatric patients who have been hospitalized due to abuse or neglect. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Trotman. Welcome to Sion 180. Thank you, and thank you for having me, Leslie Ann. Thanks a lot. 
Um, Doc, I think I want to begin first by saying to you, in this post-pandemic period, uh, have you noticed an increase in the number of uh, depression cases, uh, mental health anxieties, etc.? Have you found a difference since COVID? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not just here in Barbados, but globally, we're still kind of patching together information about the incidence of mental health disorders within the Caribbean pre and post pandemic. But global research will tell us that mental health conditions like anxiety, depression, rose by about 25% during the pandemic. Um, you know, this was very concerning because this rise occurred at the same time many mental health services shut down or were first to reduce the services that they offered. So we, we actually had quite a dangerous time during the pandemic with the incidence of mental health issues. Yes, it has come uh, to the forefront, particularly during COVID. I think a lot of people went through all different sorts of stress levels, insomnia, etc. Um, and and moodiness and sadness because of all the uncertainty that surrounded it and, and especially those who lost family members. So uh, with that in mind, can you give us a, a general overview of depression? Uh, what are the warning signs, symptoms or, or, or triggers? Yeah, I can do that. So there are actually a, a great deal of different types of depressive disorders and they're differentiated by different features. So we're looking at things like duration, we're looking at things like um, timing, we're looking at things like etiology, which is the cause of the disorder. But the, the main common features of depressive disorders is related to mood. So we're looking at people who are feeling sad, who are feeling empty, who are feeling irritable. And you know, we, we all feel sad or empty or irritable from time to time, yes. but in order to actually diagnose a depressive disorder, these low moods, they need to be related to a reduced ability to function um, at home or at work or at school. So we're really looking at changes over time and these moods need to be going on for quite a significant period um, of time. So that's kind of a, a brief overview yes. of what we mean when we're talking about depression. Right. Um, but when we use the term depression uh, in the in the public, uh, the layman term, when we talk about depression, we're also usually talking about major depressive disorder. Yes. So I can I can go through some of the symptoms yes. of a depressive episode. Um, but it's really important to remember what I just said, which is that these symptoms need to be happening for the majority of the time. For a major depressive disorder, we're looking at two solid weeks of these symptoms happening um, for most of the time. Yes. So can someone actually tell that something is wrong, um, let's say after two to three weeks of having these symptoms and you never sort of experienced that before? Yes. I mean, it's very easy to get lost in the fog of yes. depression. Yeah. Um, so I will go through some of the symptoms, but one of them is having this brain fatigue, having issues with concentration, with thinking, with making decisions. Um, so sometimes it's a lot clearer to people on the outside that someone is struggling with right. depression than it is to the person that's actually struggling. 
Yes, yes. And how how do these uh, symptoms present themselves um, in in the demographic that you treat, for instance, um, children, teenagers, and men? Uh, are they different, and if so, how? There are. So first, I'll just kind of brush over some of the symptoms of depression. So yes. we're looking at things like depressed mood, feeling sad, feeling empty, feeling hopeless. We're looking at anhedonia, which is talking about a reduced interest or pleasure in things that you used to enjoy. Right. Um, often you see significant weight loss or gain, um, increase or decrease in appetite. We're looking at issues with sleep. And I think you mentioned that earlier. So people are finding that they can't sleep at all or they're sleeping a lot less than usual. Um, people may feel restless, they may feel slowed down, they may feel fatigued. Um, we often see a lot of feelings of worthlessness, feeling guilty, struggling with concentration, memory, making decisions. And then what people normally think about as depression, which is these reoccurrent thoughts of death, feelings of suicidality or attempting suicide. Yes. And as you said, you know, we it does present differently in different ages. So our older relatives with depression may stop being interested in seeing family and friends. They may stop caring about appearance. Um, they might neglect their hygiene. You may find that older people stop stocking appropriate foods in the house. So you go in the house and th there's nothing in the fridge, nothing in the pantry. Uh, they might neglect their diet. They might stop taking their medication. So that's for older adults. Yes. The demographics that I work with, with young people, yeah. they tend to present a little bit differently. So children and adolescents tend to present as quite irritable or cranky instead of presenting as, as sad or dejected. Yes. Um, and we talked earlier about how weight gain or loss is quite a notable feature in adults. But right. children, they're changing and they're growing constantly. So we're actually a little bit concerned if, for example, a child who's nine years old between the ages of nine to 10 doesn't gain any weight, mm. right? So we're looking at that beautiful, um, that beautiful chart where children should be growing uh, over the years. And if they're not meeting that, we're going to be a little bit more concerned. Yes, there, there are two things that struck me there. Um, one is some of the symptoms that you described with the the older patients, and sometimes I wonder if you know it's is it the the onset of dementia and Alzheimer's and how easily it can be misdiagnosed by mm. loved ones or family members. We just dealt with that topic in the last season, so it immediately triggered something in me because in the Caribbean. Uh, we tend not to take this too seriously unless it's over a really prolonged period of time. Mm -hmm. And then w with children, you, you probably think they're just going through a stage, you know, especially teenagers with the hormones raging. <laughs> uh, so so I think our audience would, would like to know at what point should we look at this irritability as concerning and mm -hmm. how does this irritability manifest itself? Uh, that's great, great question. So we are concerned when it starts to affect their functioning. So if right. you have a child that um, was doing really well in school and the grades have started to drop, yes. we're concerned about that. If they um, were getting on really well with friends and suddenly they don't care about going out to see friends. 
if they have very suddenly become a lot more cranky and irritable and touchy, if they're more likely to burst into tears when you say something to them, then we want to be a little bit more concerned. And it's difficult because we know that when children are going through adolescence, there can be that crankiness, there can be that irritability, there can be that, you know, that drive to differentiate from the family. Yes. But if the child is differentiating, pulling away from the family, but not pulling towards anything else, right. if they're not trying to, to pull towards um, school or pull towards friends, yes. then we're concerned. Yes, because sometimes, you know, parents would be chatting and they would say, well, is your is your kid um, always in the bedroom, you know, not coming out um, except maybe for mealtime or when they're heading out to school? And we'd all say, yes, yeah, what's happening? Um, and so there is sort of comfort in this commonality of, mm. of behavior. And so one needs to know at what point the parent has to get concerned and is this something that's a two-way street in other words should the teachers or the school also be looking for these signs and 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 assisting in 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 this process they absolutely should do um and i think there are quite a lot of schools in barbados you know i'm going to speak about barbados because that's yes. where i'm situated yes. that do have counselors who are keeping an eye out and i i have had quite a few um, young people who've come into clinic because a teacher has noticed some some change, some difference in the adolescent. Um, and, you know, children are going to spend a lot of time if you let them in their yes. bedroom on their devices. Yes. But what I usually tell parents is ask them, what what is it that you're doing? Yeah. How are you feeling? Right. Are you feeling sad? Yeah. Simple questions. A lot of us from from the older generation um, who did not grow up with devices, iPads, iPhones, um, mm -hmm. and all these screens, um, somehow feel that you know the the almost the addiction to these devices uh, could be a mm -hmm. cause um, for the the mental changes that we've seen in kids, their moods and disorders. Would you say that that's that's a fair comment, a fair assessment? Um social media yeah. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of research that indicates that social media can be dangerous for teenagers yes. um, and you know we only post our high points so we we post our pictures looking cute on the beach um, but we don't post cleaning the toilets yes. so it, it's very easy for our young people to assume that everyone else has this better life yes um, and it's also easy to assume that other people have this better life because they're superior to yes. us in some way. Yes. So it can fuel feelings of depression, but it's unlikely to cause a depressive disorder because depression is um, a medical condition. Yes. Social media is also very good at making us feel dissatisfied with our bodies. So everything is so filtered. Um, it's, it's easy to assume that other people look like their videos and their pictures and you look in a mirror and you go, well, I've got, um, you know, acne or wrinkles or whatever else. Yes. Um, so that can cause some self-esteem issues. And actually when school was starting back in, in person, 
We had young people who were struggling with going back into in-person school because they'd spent two years being able to very carefully filter their school persona. Um, and, and it's terrifying to then be seen in the moment with no no soft lighting, no filters. Wow. Um, and, you know, self-esteem is very fragile at that age. And adolescents are also very good at point, pinpointing each other's weaknesses and zeroing in on them. So it's not an unfounded fear that those young people were having. So I wouldn't say that it creates depression, right. but it can fuel self-esteem issues and, and feelings of being inadequate. Right. And, and those feelings, I guess, on an extended basis can actually cascade into, into depression if we're not careful. Um, yeah, uh, but I mean, depression does have a biological base. Right. So it can it can trigger um, episodes of depression, yeah. Right. So how do we, for instance, with, with all of these changes that uh, teenagers have gone through with COVID and, and uh, inability to socialize for extended periods, not going to school in person, um, and being stuck with the screens, the very screens that we talk about. Um, what what advice would you give to, to parents and even uh, school teachers, for instance, in moving them through this transition um, successfully, uh, coming out of this cave, so to speak, and then suddenly facing the light? Yeah. Um, so if I have a patient that's been diagnosed with depression, or if I have a patient who is just struggling with social media, there's kind of different advice. Um, one of the things that we tell parents just in general is to keep an eye on your child. Just because they're in their room doesn't mean that they're in a safe space. Right. So we have to monitor what they're doing, both online and offline. Right. Um, social media is not inherently a bad thing. Uh, but it can lead to feelings of inadequacy. And it's also quite widely used by predators. Right. So we, we do want to watch that. We want to yes. watch who our children are talking to online. We want to watch what they're posting. Yes. Um, because it's very easy to pretend to also be a 14-year-old girl um, online. Yes. But also, like, listen. Listen to the children. Because they'll, they will tell you what's bothering them. They'll tell you when they're struggling. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have to nurture that space between us and our children by letting them come to us when they're younger, listening to them when they have problems and refraining from minimizing their issues. Yes, you don't have any bills to pay in here. Yes. Um, and yes, there's food on your table, but that doesn't mean that you're not struggling. And I find that within the Caribbean, we're very, very quick to minimize children's problems. And then we're surprised when the child hasn't come to us to tell us that they're feeling suicidal or they're feeling depressed or they're feeling worthless. Yes, it's an excellent point that you're making because I was about to launch into, you know, how we, we behave about mental health ailments in the Caribbean mm -hmm. and the <laughs> difficulties in admitting and acknowledging it, the difficulties in seeking help for it, or in even speaking to someone, you know, perhaps that you trust about it because you don't want somebody to know your business. That's yeah. that's the immediate reaction. And it it it, it 
it is quite bothersome, I think, for clinical psychologists like yourself, that sometimes by the time they get to your door, it's a lot of work to do for this patient to, to recover. So how do we get over this taboo, Doc? Um, how, how, how do we get our Caribbean folk to understand that speaking to someone about something like mental health is mm. of critical importance? And these, these young people, they are absolutely brilliant when it comes um, to talking about, about mental health. This generation is, is quite happy to discuss their mental health. Right. Um, you know, with parents, when parents come in, I do have to do a lot of psychoeducation. So this is just educating them about what the mental illness is and how it's caused and where it comes from, um, mm -hmm. that it's not your child playing the fool. <laughs> so we, we do explain, you know, that this is a medical condition, that punishing the child for being depressed or beating the child is going to make the depression worse or not better. And I do some psychoeducation with the children and the young people, but they tend to have quite a good grasp on mental illness. And I think this is partially because Generation Z and beyond, they have access to the internet and social media from a young age. So like I said, it's not inherently a bad thing. Yes. So if they are experiencing these symptoms, they can go and Google the answers or they can look up a TikTok of someone else who's experiencing the same thing. And so they do seem to have been missing some of that taboo yes. that the rest of us have grown up with. Right, right. Uh, so it's quite refreshing working with them, to be to be honest. Yes, I was about to say it's quite the opposite. Um, <laughs> if we turn our attention to our Caribbean men, for instance, mm. um, who are extraordinarily reluctant um, <laughs> to admit, you know, uh, that something is not right and that if that something is not right the same way i go to a doctor if i'm if i have a bad cold i i should go to a counselor or a therapist or a psychologist for help if i'm going through a sustained period where i know i'm not feeling right how yeah. how do you deal with with men in 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 this perspective doc great great question so sex and depression is something that we've been talking about a lot because during the last couple of years we have seen quite a few suicides quite a few men um, yes. committing suicides where people were shocked we didn't you know we didn't know yes. that yes. they were depressed and that that comes as quite a blow it does um, in in general women are more likely to seek treatment for and to be diagnosed with depression and women are actually more likely to attempt suicide yes. than men are right. but men are more likely to successfully complete suicide and you know there's some there's some theories about this um difference one is that it's more acceptable for women to say that they're struggling emotionally and mentally yes. than it is for men um and women are more likely to say well i'm more comfortable to have these deep emotional conversations with my friends whereas men you know are more likely to say they don't confide in each other um in this way so as a result you know if you're talking to your friends and your friends are concerned they'll say, well, maybe you need to go and see someone. You hear that often enough, you're likely to go see someone for help. Um, but in terms of suicide, men choose more violent means of suicide. So for example, they're more likely to use um, firearms. So they're more likely to choose more violent and deadly 
ways of of committing suicide than women are. Yes. Is there an explanation for that? Well, just in general, you know, men are socialized uh, more in terms of anger right. than women are. So so men aren't really necessarily this concerning or baffling special case when it comes to depression. Yes. The danger is yeah this 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 not being socialized to express your emotions so yes. men have a much more limited emotional range um so men are allowed to be happy but not too happy you know they're not allowed to be giggly or excited um and men are allowed to be angry that's that's really all society allows them mm-hmm. and so when men experience more vulnerable emotions the sadness the guilt the shame the embarrassing um emotions they tend to be covered up by anger so i'm i'm not saying of course that all men do this or all men are conscious of doing this or that it's a choice to do this um but socialization runs really deep mm-hmm. um when we think about what little boys are t- told from birth you know big boys don't cry right very much little, so little girls don't get that so if they fall down a little girl gets comforted but when little boys fall down and they start to cry they're told that this display of emotion even warranted emotion you skin your knee or you're in pain they're told that that's embarrassing big boys don't cry no 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 don't do that you have to man up you have to man up so then of course our men are not comfortable expressing their emotions they're not comfortable telling us when they're feeling depressed and it, it leads to these extreme cases mm-hmm. um as opposed to you know going in and seeking help is is this why it, it may be fair to say that it is uh, the symptoms of depression in men are more difficult to discern to the layman uh, to the family member or the friend because they try to disguise it does it manifest differently so so you just mm-hmm. sometimes can get up one morning and hear that you know this person took his life and you're yeah. left scratching your head in shock and grief yeah absolutely because we you know men are just not allowed to have those feelings and they do of course they do we all do yeah but you spend your lifetime pushing them down um it, it can have disastrous consequences yes so so what can we say to our men folk um Catherine about when they're going through an extended period of this negative uh feeling uh, at what point should they move forward and say i've got to seek help how can we embolden them uh to make that approach we want people to come in for help before they get to the point where they are seriously committed considering suicide yes But in terms of finding a way to help men deal with depression this is something that men need to do for men. Um you know we always hear afterwards but you know that's that was my boy I I care about him how he couldn't know that I care about him how he couldn't know that I wouldn't be there for him and so expressing to your friends that you're there for them when they're struggling great absolutely healthy in your relationships but what do you do if your friends you know you want your friends to feel comfortable talking to you but your friendships aren't characterized by talking about feelings 
you have to model that behavior. Uh, and men don't like that piece of advice because I tell them if you want your friends to talk to you about your feelings, you have to talk to your friends about your own feelings. You need to say to them, this happened at work today and I'm feeling really stressed out and I'm feeling anxious. Or I got in a fight with my wife and I'm feeling sad about it. We have to let your friends know when you're having these emotions because that then gives them the space when they're feeling emotionally unwell to speak about it with you. Right. And it's it's hard because it involves tearing down that socialization and being vulnerable in a way that is very, very difficult. Yes. Doc, there, there is some controversy as well about treatment um, for depression is... Mm -hmm. Is it dependent on therapy? What type of therapy? Is it dependent on medication or a combination of both? And for how long am I just hooked for life on this? At what point do I stop? I think these are genuine fears um, that yeah. people have, you know? Yeah, of course. Is there legitimacy to, to this? Well, I think what's really important to remember about depression is that it can be chronic. So you can have depression that will pop up um, throughout your life, um, but it can be episodic. So you can have one serious episode of depression in your life and then never experience um, another. It's really important to remember that a diagnosis of depression is not like a life sentence of everlasting sadness. It's treatable with therapy and medication. Um, but if you have a chronic form of depression, you're going to need to take care of yourself like you would need to take care of yourself with any other disease. So if you got a diagnosis of diabetes, it doesn't mean that you're, you know, unable to enjoy life. It just means that you have to do certain things to take care of yourself. The gold standard, as it is for moderate to severe depression um, in terms of treatment is a combination psychoactive drugs so that would be things like um, SSRIs and SNRIs so these are drugs that help deal with neurotransmitters in your brain and psychotherapy so what you'd usually do is you'd see a psychiatrist or a psychologist you get some medication and you do maybe six to eight weeks of therapy see how it goes things may get better at that point in time or you might need extended therapy but it is not the case where you're going to be seeing a therapist every week for the rest of your life. That is not what that looks like. So so what I hear you saying then, it is not an irreversible neurodegenerative disorder. They, it's they, not neurodegenerative. It is yes. neurological, but right. it's not neurodegenerative. It's not going to, it's unlikely to get worse over time. Right. And so what can we say now to our audience as we're wrapping up? Um, in terms of uh, detecting uh, episodes of depression in, mm. in teenagers and also mm -hmm. in our menfolk? And how do we get both um, to treat it as something serious and come before you, for instance, Dr. Trotman, for help? Depression, oh, it can be very difficult to see through the fog of depression. Um, and even if you've already started taking medication, it can take a couple of weeks to start working. So for our loved ones, we give them a hand. 
we give them that motivation. We help them make the appointments. We help encourage them to go to the appointments with children. You put the tablet in front of them every morning with their orange juice and go, all right, you're going to take this now. Don't expect the child to do it themselves um, because you know, one of the symptoms is a lack of medication. With our men folk, similar, similar behavior. We take care of the people around us that we love. We ask them questions. We ask them how they're, they're doing. We try to be there as much as is possible. We encourage them to go for help. We encourage them to go to self-help groups, which are very, very important. Men speaking to men. Um, because you know men are used to speaking men will speak to their wives their girlfriends their partners mm -hmm. about how they're doing but because that socialization is men socializing other men it needs to change with men that change needs to be with men um one of my big concerns with parents is always how are you taking care of yourself are you eating? Are you sleeping? What activities are you doing that you enjoy? Who do you speak to when things become difficult? Because parents go all out for their children and they forget that they have needs. Right. But we need to make sure that the parents are coping as well because you cannot pour from an empty jug. Yes, so self-care. <laughs> very Self-care, absolutely. And self-care isn't necessarily, you know, self-care is one of those terms that have gotten in um, to the, the jargon the public jargon yes. and it doesn't mean boozy brunches self-care right. doesn't mean you know going for a massage self-care is about looking at where you are in life and figuring out what are the things you need to do to make sure that you continue coping that you continue thriving so for my students and they hate this i tell them actually self-care is getting a planner and not procrastinating so that in two months when this assignment is due, you're not up all night for four nights in a row, and then you're, you know, having small hallucinations. Yes. So self-care yes. is taking care of yourself, not necessarily treat yourself. <laughs> it's, it's a little different. Because <laughs> I think a lot of us associated with, you know, having a day at the spa and like you Absolutely. say, mimosas with a long extended brunch with our friends, kiki <laughs> you know <laughs> so. and you know that that can be self-care if what you need is um a break but sometimes what you need is setting that alarm for six o'clock and going for a walk right. right which is not fun yes but necessary that's taking care of yourself Yes. So there's some lifestyle choices I'm hearing from you, Doc, mm -hmm. um, that yeah. need to be made too, that can also counteract um, the feelings of depression or, or even when you are in a depression. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not going to ever say that depression is caused by or can be fixed by exercise or eating right. Yes. Um, but it can help once you are in that depressive state. But that is where we need the people around us to help us out, to chivvy us out of bed and get us to take a, a little walk I along with everything else we're doing. I absolutely agree with you. And I will add that we also need professionals like yourself mm. um, more out there educating and informing our Caribbean public um, as to how we need to handle mental health disorders and depression in particular. So I mm. want to take this opportunity to thank you 
uh, so much for appearing on this podcast. I know that the information that you have relayed today would be very useful uh, to all of us here. Thanks so much for the work that you're doing, Catherine. Thank you for having me today. I've I've enjoyed our chat. Thank you, Catherine, for an extremely enlightening conversation. I hope this episode helps to advance open discussions about this topic in families, in school, in relationships, and at work. We have learned quite a lot, and I hope that it assists us in continuing to shape or reshape our general views about depression and mental health. Thanks so much again, Dr. Catherine Trotman, not only for being a guest here, but for the critical work that you do in this very delicate field. Thank you. This has been Sion 180, where we continue to learn from our community of professionals who grace our platform. Don't forget to hit us up on our social media platforms. We do love hearing from you all. Tune in again next Sunday for another episode or check us out anytime on YouTube and on Sion180.com for all current and past episodes. This is Sion 180. Be safe, everybody.